he said, look, this is played out. All the players have already established themselves. My response to him was, dude, look, there's always room for the best. I set myself a ridiculously high bar, which was that I was going to have to come in and outperform people. That meant that I was going to spend just an inordinate amount of time learning how to interview. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Hot Sauce, a.k.a. Rabbi Kinlis, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to my good friend, Tom Bilyeu. Tom is one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition. Those are those amazing Quest bars. I eat them almost every day, as well as Impactory, which is a huge YouTube and social media channel that he talks about giving people an empowering mindset. So I was talking with Tom and I said, you have a million and a half subscribers. I can't believe how you got so big in just two years doing YouTube and so forth. And Tom said, this is just the beginning. He's one of these amazing people that his next big challenge is taking on Disney. So I'm so interested to share his mindset and his inspiration with you today. If you've ever wanted to learn about unlocking your full potential, you will love this episode. Here's the three plus bonus major things you're gonna get. Number one, building versus digging for your passion and desires. Number two, the gap where people get stuck. Number three, living a life in perpetual state of joyful frustration. And the bonus is building the next Disney and scheduling writing days. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Come on, y'all. It's youtube.com slash okdork. I share a lot of really juicy, meaty, behind-the-scenes stuff for helping you start or grow your business. That's youtube.com slash okdork. And by the way, if you're starting or growing a business, make sure you sign up for appsumo.com. It's the number one site online for software deals. And a special pre-show shout-out to listener MJD2272 of the US of A. He said, Noah is a wise one to watch or listen to many tacos. I love you and I really love every single one of you who listen and take action for yourselves and making a great life. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever. I check every single one of them. Thank you so much. I watched almost all of your videos that were just about you. How did you get so damn big on YouTube? I am beyond pained by how small I really am in the grand scheme of things. So that's an interesting way to phrase it. Here is how I thought about it. I talked to people, someone you know, and they said, dude, look, it's played out. Don't bother trying to get into this. Like as your advisor, I will tell you, podcasting world, we are doing both at the same time. So for me, podcasts interchangeable with YouTube. He's like, it's played out. Like the player's already there. You weren't an early mover. It's not gonna be a good use of your time. I would focus elsewhere. And my response was, there's always room for the best. And so I came into it just saying, I have to be better than everybody else. So I started putting just an obscene amount of time into strategizing around what the interview was gonna be, researching the person, because I found what would happen is if you have somebody on the show and you're obviously dealing with this right now where you're trying to ask me questions people haven't asked before, is they just say the same thing over and over and over. And they get into what I call their loop. I hate the loop. People even sound different when they're in their loop. (laughs) So I was like, fuck this. One, it's not interesting for me. And two, I know if I'm going to build an audience, they have to feel like, yo, I'm going to get something different with that person than I would get anywhere else. So I started writing these crazy intricate intros to rob the person of their story, but all under the guise of I'm hyping you up. So they were like, oh my God, like I feel seen. That intro is amazing. Thank you. You've honored me with that. But what I was really doing is saying all the things that they would say in their loop so that if they repeated any of it, they would feel like they were repeating themselves. So I was like, all right, here are the nine things I know you really give a shit about. And you're going to say, no matter what, you're going to make sure these are said in an interview. And I'm just going to say them all in the intro. And then we're going to go in and hopefully cover some new ground. 
And that helped. I won't say that's the only reason you have to get savvy about the algorithms and all that. Shit, but that was the thing that really started it for me, was just trying to outperform everybody else. How much do you think you've spent? Money-wise? Yeah, advertising. T- I wanted to know about like, the team. I think people don't know what's happening in the kitchen. And I was curious because I have guesses. So the team is expensive. So on YouTube, I think we have, if you count our data guys, so we have a director of marketing, we have a data person, and then we have sort of a floater who touches in on a bunch of different things. And then on top of that, you have my wife who also pays attention largely, if I'm honest, now she focuses more on her own channel, but everything she's learning, she's making sure that we're applying as well. You can sort of loosely call it roughly four people that focus largely, if not entirely on YouTube. But of course, it's not where we started. We started small and we had a director of marketing and that was essentially it. And so that's grown over time. We don't do a lot on YouTube. We don't do a lot of paid advertising unless I'm promoting Impact Theory University. Then we do some, we suck at that right now. So that we don't spend a lot of money on it just because I don't think we're very good at it. But as we get good, we'll spend more and more. But we hold ourselves to metrics on that. Instagram is where we spend a bit of money. Instagram, we spend probably two to 4K a month growing that channel because that is much easier to get a great return by creating a piece of content, see that it performs on my own channel and then find channels that speak to a similar but different group of people. Give them that content. We know it's going to over-index for them and then it sends people over to our channel. You're getting real people. You keep your engagement rate super high. But I don't spend a lot of money on that stuff just because that's a great way to lose money. I would rather make content that people really seek out. One question I was talking with a friend this morning is how big we think we should be, each of us. I am distressed at how not big I am. Scale, that is definitely meaningful to me. My big thing was when I first started in podcasting stroke YouTube, somebody advised me, somebody I respect a lot to this day, and even though I think he was incredibly wrong about this, he's been right about a lot of things, and he said, look, this is played out. All the players have already established themselves. This is probably five or six years ago, five years ago. My response to him was, dude, look, there's always room for the best. I set myself a ridiculously high bar, which was that I was going to have to come in and outperform people. That meant that I was going to spend just an inordinate amount of time getting a better interview and learning how to interview and figuring out, like really being strategic about it. And I've broken this down for people before, but my thinking was this. If you watch multiple interviews of the same person, you're going to hear their loop. There are certain things that they're comfortable talking about and they loop and loop and loop around them. They sound the same. Like you can hear when they slip into their loop something they've said those words in that order a thousand times before. And this will drive me crazy. You'll ask them a question and I know where they're at in their loop and they'll back up because they're so used to starting at like this point leads to this point leads to this point. And I'm like, but I didn't ask you about that. I'm asking you about this thing that is four steps down later in your loop. So anyway, trying to get them out of that, I came up with a strategy to write these really intricate intros. And the idea behind the intro was, look, I know there are certain things that are just really important to you. I want to honor you by acknowledging those things. Like I too want to make sure that those come out because I know that they matter to you. But I also want to say them in my intro to steal your own story from you so that you can't repeat it, so that you would feel stupid repeating something I already said in the intro, because chances are I even use the words that you use. So it's like, now, mother, <laughs> I'm in your loop with you. I take it all away. And so I forget who it was that said this, but they were like, part of what makes you interesting as a host is that you're trying to knock people off balance, but in a good way. Yeah. And I was like, that's literally it. I'm not trying to 
take you somewhere where you're not going to thrive. Like I want to take you where I know you're awesome, where you have a ton of value to add. I just don't want to take you to the same place you've been a thousand times before. I love it. That ended up being certainly how I got the early traction. And then I had to learn about the algorithms and stuff like that. Do a ton of podcasts. Like if you want to grow your own audience, go on somebody else's show. And for the first year that I was on YouTube, maybe more, dude, I was doing every podcast you can imagine. Legitimately did ones where if there were more than 100 viewers, I would be shocked. But if somebody asked, I said yes, and I poured my heart and soul into every one of them. I love it. One of the things that you kind of highlighted that was interesting was you have a team. Yes. You had a team from the beginning. And I was curious, like, how much have you invested in building out impact theory in your brand? That's a big question. So impact theory is we have now 23-ish people full-time, but people have to remember, I am building the next Disney. So people think of me as impact theory, the show. I don't think of myself that way. And I'm actually constantly asking myself the question, should I keep doing that? Because the amount of time that it takes to do that side of the business is pretty extraordinary. But two days a week, I just write. And I'm just trying to create stories and ideas that we can put out as film, TV, comic books, anime, all that good stuff. On that side, like when you take in all the different things that we do, we have a university, Impact Theory University, we have all the content that people know me for, Women of Impact and shows that I'm not even a part of, and then the cadre of things that I do myself. So that's where all of that comes from. So the infrastructure, I mean, we probably now, our run rate is, I don't know, it's gotta be, probably just under $2 million a year. Like your revenue or how much you spend just to run everything? No, 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 how much we spend. That's like everything all in building the comic books out, which the comic books are the most expensive thing that we do. They're crazy. And then creating the content, all the staff, all the advertising that we do, which is actually relatively low. That's about right. I need like a 10 hour series with you around this stuff because there's a lot of people who've started YouTube channels to do interviews and share stories and motivate. And yours has risen above. Thank you, man. It stands out. Your wife said she bet on you. One thing you said as we were opening the discussion that I'm, I'm struggling with is, and I was asking you earlier, I was talking to a friend and he said, no, you should be a lot bigger than, than you are. I agree with that. With a level of aggression that people are going to think that I'm faking because you're the one interviewing me right now. But dude, I'm telling you right now, I just had this conversation with my wife. I was having an emotional crisis, maybe is the right way to think of it. Like I just said, I really do scrutinize, not necessarily on a daily basis, but very, very frequently, whether the things that I'm doing are moving me towards the goals that I want and the day that I want to have. I was frustrated because I had just filmed a guest. They weren't giving me the how. And I was like, this is so annoying. Do people not know how they got successful? What isn't as interesting as how? I want it to be replicatable. She was like, well, maybe people just don't know that side of it. And she was like, can you think of anybody that can explain it? And I was like, yes, motherfucker, Noah Kagan. I'm like, that guy is so crazy. He is so tactical. I have never met anyone, Noah, that can explain this shit the way that you do. And I cannot understand how you are not massive. Like, this is crazy to me. So I feel like I have this guy on tap who's got these crazy insights. And I'm looking around like, how are these numbers not in the millions? This is madness. People do not understand that you are the human equivalent of where the rubber meets the road, and that's the only thing they should give a fuck about. All this spiritual entertainment, my biggest fear in the world is that I will become spiritual entertainment. I would rather just go be rich, dude. I do not have an interest in that. If that's all I'm gonna add up to as somebody speaking into a camera, then I would just rather go write all day. 
I cannot tell you how little interest I have in that. But what I do have tremendous interest in is actually helping people. So I'm constantly forcing myself to go, how the fuck did I get here? Like, what did I actually do? Only people who get lost should give directions and only people who had to struggle to assemble a piece of furniture should write the instructions. Because they'll go, dude, look, you're gonna get tripped up here. And I get that this photo, the screw looks like one thing and not the other. It's really this thing that I'm trying to show. And they'll put those gaps where people end up getting lost in. I feel I'm that. I'm the instruction manual written by a moron who actually managed to pull it all off so he can go back and go, let me tell you where all the trip ups are. That is a lot of words around. I agree with your friend who thinks you should be substantially bigger. I want to stick on this. Not that I want you to keep flattering me, but I could do an hour of that just alone. And I'll send you that. You can send me the invoice afterwards. But I think this is true for a lot of people. I don't think I'm, I'm unique in the sense of we think our messages are great. We think we have expertise or we think we have something special. I'm trying to understand why, I, you know, there's people that are more known than me, but I don't know if they're better than me. And so I'm wondering why I'm holding myself back. I guess maybe from your recipe of your life, what makes you think you should be bigger? I don't know that I should be bigger. I just know that I'm hell-bent to get bigger. I use a tactic, which is to live in a perpetual state of joyful frustration. I don't want people to think that I'm eroding myself. I'm not. I know better than that. I want to kick myself in the ass about 20% of the time and then 80% of the time be excited about everything I've accomplished and all the beautiful shit that I'm focused on bringing into the world. But if you don't do that, if you don't have that perpetual sense of I could do more, I could be more, I think you will miss out on what I believe is truly the meaning of life. It's one question where every now and then someone will ask me and it will almost always elicit laughter when I give them an answer so quickly and so well thought out that they're not used to that. Because most people are like, well, it's a big question. I'm like, look, this is really simple. This is about the physics of being a human being. All humans come pre-programmed with certain directives, right? To use an AI term. You're gonna get pushed in certain directions, okay? We're an active species. So meaning we never just sit still. We're always doing something. We're wanting something. We're chasing something. Thirst, hunger, sex drive, desire to move up in hierarchy. Tony Robbins has said something I think is fundamentally true, which is, progress is one of the foundational pillars of happiness. I just think that's true. If we're not moving forward, you won't be able to be happy. No one wants to be stagnant. So it's like, okay, well, if those things are true, then what becomes the meaning of life? I think at the core of it, the reason that the human animals become the apex predator to end all apex predators is because we've chosen a strategy of adaptation. So we're not like a horse. We don't come pre-programmed with things. We have chosen to be influenced by culture, to let culture stack knowledge so that we don't have to reinvent technology every generation. It's there for us, it's in books. We can learn and adapt and grow very quickly. Knowing that all of that is true, I think that the meaning of life is to take this potential that you've been given and turn it into actual skill set. To me, the easiest way to sum it up is to say, we're all seeking power. Power, as I define it, is the ability to close your eyes, imagine a world better than this, open your eyes, and actually have the skill set to bring that world to fruition. Getting people to understand that skills have utility is like one of the hardest things to do, first of all, because it sounds so simple and so obvious, and yet people do not act like that is true. So they read a book to check a box, to be able to say that they've read it, they go to school to get grades to impress their parents, when what they should be doing is reading a book to get better at something so that they can, like, for instance, growing a YouTube channel, I had to learn about it. I had to figure out what would make a better interview. I had to understand the psychology of the person watching it. I had to understand the algorithm. And as I understood those pieces, I was able to build a channel bigger than most people can build. 
but it's only because I garnered a set of skills and my verbal ability, right? I've been working on my verbal ability like a psychopath since the seventh grade. What do you think most people are just afraid of going to that next level? Another side of that question is, why do you think your message resonates so well with people? My obsession is to exist in the world that isn't bullshit. Because I have that unending fear of spiritual entertainment, which I will define as powerful words that you plan to do nothing with. They made you feel some kind of way and then you just never do anything. I want to be an instruction manual. I think part of why what I say resonates is I have lived it. So I'm telling you exactly what I did. I feel reachable to people. I'm not so smart that people are like, oh my God, I could never be like that, right? I look at Elon Musk and I'm inspired, but he seems terrifyingly far away. And I have to be very careful around my mindset when I think about him not to make him some genius that is beyond my reach. Otherwise, he won't be useful to me. I talk about the struggle a lot. I get massively anxious if I try to posture or be cool. They'll use words like, oh, you're so real, you're down to earth, whatever. That's just me. I'm just being honest about what I did to get here. I'm not trying to make myself seem cooler than I am, but I know some shit and I'm not gonna pretend I don't and I'm gonna tell it to you with aggression and because it's real and it will actually work if you use it, you get this positive word of mouth around that. Like people are saying, yo, I used his tactics and they actually work and the shit is real and then couple that with, if I go and speak, dude, I have stood without even stopping to urinate for 11 and a half hours just answering questions after giving a talk. Now, most speakers are gonna escape out the back. All of this stuff, they can tell, I want you to win. Like that, I'm wired for that shit. I've invested in that, like in terms of everybody has to decide what the meaning of their life is. And my meaning is to help people learn the things that I've learned because it will give you control of your life and you can do whatever the fuck you want. I've just poured myself into that completely. I love it. I mean, I think some of the things that you've said that I wanna just highlight for the audience and sometimes it's nice to hear back from myself is you take it as a professional. I wanna be clear on that. You're not, hey, I'm going to put up YouTube. I'm going to do interviews. I'll do it for a year. See how it goes. You're like, I am going to run it like a business and I will figure out how to become the best and I will invest and I will put my money to go all in. I think that's where the results do also speak for themselves. And the second part around the messaging and the resonation, you're sharing your recipes and I like that terminology and the dishes taste great and you're doing whatever it takes. And I've seen you on Instagram and I know on YouTube, you make sure that everyone is heard. And people say, how do you build a community? one by one, and you help them get the things they want. And there's, I'm sure, some old ass quote, like, well, you get they want, then you get what you want. One thing for myself, and I'm just curious your opinion, man, and then for everyone else out there that believes they can be more, how do, how do I find that in myself? If you were coaching me, you see something I'm missing, and I, I like my stuff, and I think it's really great, and I'm starting to really o- open up and unlock, like, what if we all just get f-ing unleashed? How would you coach or, or explore that? The only thing, one, I see myself as a filtering mechanism, I used to spend a lot, a lot of energy trying to convince people who were not ready to be convinced. It isn't fun. It does not strike me as a good use of my energy. So with much dismay in my heart, had to say, all right, I'm looking for the people that want the message. I'm gonna give you the instructions. I'm not going to force you to read them. I have the answer and I will give it to you. But whether people do something with that or not is a whole nother thing. So as I say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But if you have thirst, that person's thirsty, you don't have to worry about it. Think of me as somebody who just looks for thirsty people, not in the like Instagram thirsty way. The key is what I call the only belief that matters. If you believe that you can get better at something, then that will determine your behavior. 
The reason I call the only belief that matters is if you don't believe that your energy and effort will be rewarded with improved skill set, then you won't put your energy into learning new things and getting better. You will just try to make the most of the talent that you believe you were born with. If, on the other hand, you believe that humans really as a species have chosen this adaptation strategy, then it's like, well, why aren't you making use of that? You can get better at anything at any time. There's an awesome quote, which is that you can't turn a pig into a racehorse, but you can make a really fast pig. My whole thing is you can 100x any element of your life. You may not be able to beat LeBron James at basketball, but you can get 100 times better at basketball. You may not be as rich as Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, but you can get 100 times wealthier than you are today. And 100x on anything is life-changing. It is an event horizon beyond which people truly cannot see. They can't imagine what their life would be like. If you believe that, if you believe that you can improve, then I need say nothing else. It just becomes a game of, do you want something badly enough to put in the energy or not? I even have an answer to that, by the way, which desire is a process, and we can go into that if you want. But it's like, all of this shit is a process. And that's the thing that I want people to understand. I'm just not gonna force you to go down the process. If you ask me what it is, I will tell you. Whether you do it or not is on you. I have other questions, but you can't tease me like that. Oh, I got the process to figure out your total. All right, so here it is. I'll give it to you real fast. Yes, please. You have to build desire. You've got to learn how to want something. So I will give you an example of two times in my life where I've changed what I wanted and it had a material impact on my life. I was not born with a desire. Nobody is, right? If Steve Jobs had been born a thousand years ago, he would not have wanted to build the iPhone. That just wouldn't have been where he was at. It's not where culture was at. It was not where technology was at. So we're all, to a certain extent, a product of our time. That means we're influenced by culture. We're influenced by our parents, by the kids that we grow up around, by pop culture, the zeitgeist, all those things at that moment. What you need to understand is you can point your desire at anything. So the way that I explain it to people is passion, which is one way to think about desire. Passion is not an archaeological dig. It is an architectural build. So you don't turn inward to find something that's been hiding from you your whole life. It doesn't work like that. You decide what you're going to want, and then you build that desire. So you take that sort of low-level interest and you build it into a true passion. So when I was going into Quest, all I knew was I didn't want to be in technology anymore. I wanted to build a company that was authentic, that was passion-based, that was creating value in people's lives. Like That's what we outlined. Now, my partner happened to be really good at nutrition. So I was like, well, can I link on to that? Can I fall in love with nutrition? Can I find something in my life that I could turn into a passion. I was like, yes, actually. My mom and my sister are morbidly obese. Now, I've told this story so many times. I think people think that I thought of it my entire life. But the reality was I was trying to think, what could I really like get amped up about that lines up with my partner who's already spending all this time and energy on nutrition that would line up with that so that 2 a.m. on a Friday, I could still be excited about making protein bars. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna show up every day and I'm gonna fight for my mom and my sister. And I start telling myself a story and other people a story because I understand the human mind and I start telling this story about, I'm gonna save my mom and my sister. Oh, how are you gonna do that? Oh, through this nutrition company. Because if we can make food that they can choose based on taste and it happens to be good for them, then it could be revolutionary. Like that would be the no bullshit answer to how you turn somebody's life around because they've known about diet and exercise forever and they've not done it. So that clearly is not the answer. Now, I started telling that story to myself. I started telling that story out loud. You say it to other people to trigger congruence in your own mind. And then, this is the key, I embodied my passion, the passion that I wanted to feel for it. I embodied it every time I told that story. And I will do it right now for you on cue so you will see how easy this is. Now, I'm doing this because I know something about the brain, which is whatever your emotional reaction is, the brain goes, well, shit, then this really must be that. So if you're like, 
oh, wow, I guess the world's ending. Then your brain goes, huh, guess it's not a big deal. And if you say, holy shit, I just found a quarter on the sidewalk. This is crazy. Can you believe this? I literally didn't have that quarter a second ago. And now I have it. This is insane, man. I literally was just walking by and I saw this quarter and I picked it up. Baby, can you believe this? I found a quarter. This is insane. We could go to a gumball machine. Back in the day, I could have played a video game with this. This is amazing. And look, I know it's silly. I know that I'm blowing it out of proportion, but I'm really excited about this. Now, all of that was bullshit, but I just embodied passion. I made it physical. I moved my arms more. I elevated my breathing. I was talking in a different way. All of that makes my brain go, fuck, that quarter was really something. Now, if you do it once, it makes a little bit of a difference. But if you start doing that 10 times a day to anybody who will listen over a month, two months, a year, then all of a sudden it really becomes the thing at the core of you. For anybody that wants to see evidence of this shit, when I exited Quest, I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do now? I need to have like that next area of meaning in my life. And so I started to make this association. I big brothered for this kid for eight and a half years, which is a whole story unto itself. Flash forward 15 years later, and I have a thousand employees that remind me of him, grew up hard. This was a kid that grew up in South Central Los Angeles. They reminded me of him and I was like, fuck, like I have unease about the fact that their zip code is the greatest predictor of their future success, not even their IQ, which IQ would suck, but like I could sort of get behind that, but that it's their zip code just did not seem like something I was willing to accept in life. So I start talking to people about it. I start talking to myself about it, about what that means to me and what I want to do with that. I end up realizing, okay, for me to really changes. I'm going to have to go back to storytelling. Now, it is not a mistake that I end up pointing myself at something that I already have a natural interest in, which I went to film school. So it was like this confluence of, okay, I love this thing. I want to help these people. And the literature, the scientific literature is saying for humans to assimilate truly disruptive information, it's going to be through narrative. Okay, rad. I know how to do that. So I'm going to bring these together. But how do I really make this stick? So I started thinking about this kid that I used to big brother for. I just started saying, cool, I'm going to own something that I've never owned before, which is that I failed him, okay? He did not end up succeeding in the way that I wanted. I was young and stupid when I knew him, and I just didn't know how to do anything other than show him that somebody loved him. Now, I had spent my whole life up to that moment realizing that I could make this really powerful in my life, saying I did that for him. I showed him that somebody loved him. And so even though he hasn't had the outcome maybe that I would want for him, he knew that somebody loved him at a very difficult time in his life. Yeah, this is the loop. I've heard this from you. I will get to the punchline. <laughs> I say that with love, by the way. No, no, no. I totally get it. I I'll try to get past it. I end up really investing in that story and saying, I failed him. And I changed my rhetoric from I showed him somebody loved him to I failed him. And I start saying I failed him over and over and over because repetition is so powerful. I started to really get this sort of ache in my heart that I failed him. And thinking about these other people that I knew and were sort of active people in my life. And I was like, I'm not going to fail them. And so I begin to get this obsession over, hey, you have learned lessons since then. You don't have to keep under delivering. Like you can really do this. And so impact theory is going to be about that, which is why I hold myself to this crazy standard of it has to work. It has to be real. It's not going to be spiritual entertainment. I'm not interested in that. So I just keep telling that story over and over and over. And like I'm doing now, embodying it, saying it with passion. So it becomes real. I filmed this video probably, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago, maybe. You can search it on YouTube, do my name plus master plan. I watched it. And this video will come up and I burst into tears as I'm explaining this. And I was like, Fuck. it caught me off guard. I had no idea that it had embedded itself emotionally that deeply. So anyway, that's the process. Why do you have that video unlisted? Because when we first launched it, 
I didn't want it to go out to our audience because I didn't think it would perform well. So that goes back to know your algorithm. It's not a video that I need people to watch, but if you want to understand, because we were going to start a university and it was going to be the first thing that we were charging for. And I wanted people to understand why I was doing it. So it wasn't a video that I thought added value to their life. I thought it was a video that clarified a business positioning. Respect, straight. Two things for people today. A lot of the the listeners that I, I got to meet, so many really interesting people, this girl, Jennifer, so many amazing people from chatting with you and sharing you know, some of my experiences. Two things with businesses. Do you think everyone should follow the Tom Billu model, which is, and this is the simplification of it, is get super rich, crazy rich first, and then go for passion? Definitely not. Oh, I know, but I, you know, I've, I was watching a lot of your material and I've, you know, I've known you for a few years now. And the second kind of part of that question is if someone is out there and they're 19, 22, and they're saying, I want to start a business today, how should they approach it? Get rich first, then passion, or, and then if I want to start a business today, what should I be doing? You made a dichotomy, one that people don't have to do, and I would encourage them not to do, but nested in a bigger question. So the dichotomy between get rich or passion, I got rich once I tied my business to my passion. So let me be very clear about that wasn't until I gave up the naked pursuit of money and instead said, in a business savvy way, I'm going to pursue a passion that I ended up getting wealthy. That's super important. Okay, now nested in a bigger question of, if I had to do everything over again, would I pursue wealth first? Because it was presented like, and this is obviously sort of mythologizing the story to make it simple to hand it to people in a usable way, but it went something like this. I met these two entrepreneurs and they were like, hey, look, if you want to be a filmmaker, to control the art, you have to control the resources. So why don't you come with us and get rich? And I was like, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I actually thought it would take 18 months. It took 15 years, but it actually did work. But if I were to go back in time and advise myself, I would say, hey, find the person. You're in this magical spot in your life. You're young. You can still get laid while being poor, (laughs) which is what I think propels people out of being poor very, very quickly is it stops being cute. That's awesome. I love that. But at the time I was young, that would have been absolutely fine. I would advise myself now, go to the person who's living your ideal life and offer to work for them for free in exchange for knowledge and connections. Because what I didn't know then, I was always trying to optimize for the dollar, get whatever job paid me the most at that moment, not realizing money spends once and knowledge and connections monetize forever. Like it's so straightforward, but crazy powerful. Yes. It's beautiful. Very well put. That if I had to do it over again, knowing what I know now, I would 100% go straight into filmmaking. I love it. I love it, man. Because, you know, sometimes though, I will say what I've been experimenting with is doing stuff on the ground floor, the soldier level, I like to call it, which is you're wealthy, I'm rich, which there is a difference. It's hard sometimes because I had a masseuse come over two nights ago, lost his job, got fired, and no one wants to invite him over to their house anymore. It took precautions and I said, you know, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. I'm just going to try to figure it out. And part of me wanted to just tell him things that I think he could do online. And here's how you could like do a a course. And here's how you could start, you know, on sunfox.com, start a newsletter and you could help teach people massages, couples massages. It did also remind me though, that it's easy to sometimes have this advice when we're not worrying about having to pay the bill. My thing on that one, I really truly believe that people should listen to you. You are the only voice on this that I think is powerful. I think that your thinking is right. There is another level to this, which is let's deal with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If people followed my rhetoric, they will see I'm talking about being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, and then coronavirus happened. And I was like, look, motherfuckers, take care of your basic needs. 100%. I don't give a what you have to do. Night hustle, shitty jobs. I literally have the chills. Whatever you have to do, survival mode, take care of it first. 
Now, if you're in a fortunate position where you're a masseuse and you're like, God, how am I going to deal with this? Then your advice is so spot on. When you sold, I forget the exact story with that handcrafted wooden toothbrush story that you did with Tim Ferriss, but it was like watching you do it in real time it legitimately changed me and made me realize, oh, I'm missing this particular skill set that this guy happens to have, which is that you're so good at dollar one. Dollar one is probably where I struggle the most. Scaling, I get, that I understand. But dollar one is tough. Your advice, the things that I've heard you give off the cuff a thousand times before are so good that I'm just like, people have really got to listen to you. Thanks, man. And in this time, I really think, man, here's what's happened. A shot was fired. We don't know who it hit yet, but somewhere right now, people are bleeding to death. And we don't yet know the full effects of what it means for, what, 33 million people to be out of a job. That's so crazy. And for the stock market to be going up, people haven't yet realized, no, 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 for real, like you have a terminal diagnosis. I think bad things are about to happen. I'm not a doom and gloom guy, but I want people to act now, start listening to you and start acting in accordance because if they move now, they've got a chance for them not to be the one that gets hit. But if they don't, man, it's gonna get gnarly. I wanna talk to you a lot longer. I want you to tuck me into bed and read me stories to sleep. (laughs) I talked to this professor, Aswath Damodoran, and this guy is next level. And if you wanna learn about stocks and he, he simplifies it and it's really amazing, but I asked him, I said, well, if you're so good at the stock thing. Why don't you just go be on Wall Street and get rich? And he said he was in class in college one day. And this was a previous show we did. I'll probably link it at the end of this episode. He said, I was in class and I took an accounting class and valuations and I got a call and I answered it. And my calling was to teach. I have felt called to help the 30 million people. And you actually said it. I don't want to help all 30 million. I want to help the 30 million who are willing to put in the work. And if they're willing to put in the work, I'll be there to help them and support them and account them and, and strategize with them to get those results. The ones, and I, I think where I've gotten lost in time is where I've spent the time on the ones who don't want to do it. They want the six pack abs, which I know you've talked about, but they don't want to do any of the diet. They just want to watch the video. Correct. We have 20 minutes and I definitely have other meat on the bone that I'm excited about to learn more for you. So we're still on this business stuff and then I want to get a little relationship stuff. Something that I'm experimenting with, I was talking with my coach and other things around next levels of growth. So my two next levels of growth that I'm exploring is not living a microwave life. What does that mean? Yeah. So this is my new thing that my coach and I were identifying, which is I mostly eat anything in the microwave. That's how I eat most of my meals because it's efficient. You know, I've become single recently and I'm starting to cook again. There's some beauty in the craft and there's beauty in the slowness and the taste is actually better. As much as my superpower is also, and I don't think I should give up my superpower of the dollar one, the slowness and just the being part, I'm really trying to explore. I think what the other piece of things I'm trying to understand is how does my relationship money, where the fuck is that? So those are the kind of two things I'm thinking about. And so one of the questions I had for you is how do you enjoy your wealth? Because I've made money and like I live in an 800 square foot like house and it literally is falling apart. Like no joke, you come over, like the walls are cracked. It's thundering in Austin. I'm a little scared. This is amazing. And so I've struggled and it's upbringing, blah, blah. I'm not here to boohoo how I have money and I can't spend it, but I guess I'm curious, how do you enjoy it and how do you look at it? I've done two things really, three maybe, with my money. Number one is building the company. Telling stories is my greatest joy. And I set out now 16, 17 years ago, maybe more, and said, I'm going to make films my way. I'm going to go get rich and build a studio. And I'm actually doing it. That for me is the greatest thing that I will ever do with that is to 
spend time creating stories. Like I can't even explain how much I love the act of telling stories, being in and deciding, you know, theme and character arc and all that stuff is extraordinary. Building a company that can help people through stories is, I think, going to be the single greatest joy in business that I've ever had. So that's one. Being able to do it in such a way that I'm doing it now where I'm not beholden to anybody required an obscene amount of capital. Then you've got everybody has their thing. For some people, it's cars and all that. For me, it's a house. Ever since I was a kid, I fantasized about having a rad house. And so I now have a rad house. That has been big. And then the third is obviously helping the people that I care about. I can't think of any single moment getting married. Yes. So that admittedly was the coolest sort of single moment of my life. But giving my mom a check with a lot of commas and zeros was cool. That was just rad to repay her for being the perfect mother and keeping me on the straight and narrow. Yeah, that was fun. How much is your house worth? <laughs> I know you film in your house. Your studio is bigger than my whole house. Maybe range. We don't live there anymore. So that now is just the studio, which is maybe even more gross. We now live in a different house. That's the one question I will balk at, at giving a number, because uh, Elon Musk just said he's selling all of his houses and all that. And when asked why, this answer is so powerful. He said it's an attack vector. I thought, whoa, that is true, dude. There are even things around that that I want to explain how people use it as an attack vector, but I don't even want to say it because I don't want people doing it. That is the one thing where it's like, okay, there is definitely a downside to the world where, like to give you an idea, a famous person has a series on YouTube. They ended up using my house as the thumbnail on one of their images as just like a ridiculous house. And I thought that will give you an idea of the price range. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm lucky. Like no one wants to rob me. They're like, but this guy's going to, he's not going to give us anything. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, you know, enjoying your wealth, I didn't really get a clarity about how you look at it today. You have more wealth than you need. You know, the thing that I, I trips me out sometimes, people aspire to that and they get there, but they're still them. How do you look at money specifically right now? I think about money as its potential. What I always tell people about money is generating wealth is more powerful, I think, than what people realize, not less for sure, but it isn't at all what people think it's going to be. Money cannot affect how you feel about yourself. That surprised me. I actually thought it would. I was so aspirational around money for so long that I had sort of this deep-seated sense that I would feel better about myself if I were rich. And then I sold a piece of the company and suddenly was wealthy overnight. I was like, wow, all the insecurities that I've ever had, I still have. So, okay, cool. Money can't affect that. But money is letting me build a company that I believe in and letting me build something the way that I want to build. And that has been extraordinarily powerful. But the way that I ultimately think about money is that money is crazy transient. I don't get fixated on money. There was, I forget which Greek philosopher, but he used to force himself once a month to dress like a beggar and spend a night on the street to remind himself like, this is what I'm afraid of, that it's not that big of a deal. I like that. The good news is I didn't grow up with money and really I didn't get real wealth until I was in my late thirties. I don't think of it as being me. It's not like I associate money with me or my sense of worth or value. I'm very aware that the banking system could collapse. My wealth could go to nothing overnight. and why would that or not that make me anxious? It makes me anxious because I don't want to see my wife have to go through something hard. It doesn't make me anxious because I know that I can rebuild. As long as I don't get brain trauma, 
that I'll be able to rebuild. I'm willing to work extraordinarily hard. I've learned so much over the years Hell yeah. that I'm very quickly able to translate that. I could go to any company with sort of in the general framework of my skill set and get a six-figure job literally in a day based on skills, not based on like, they don't even need to know who I am. Just get me in the room with them. I will show them in an interview. I know how to do the things you need to do to make more money. And because I can do things that make other people money, I never have to worry about the basics. By the way, if you're looking for work, AppSumo.com, <laughs> we are hiring. We need a YouTube person. Our person's great, but we could always have a second one. You could be the backup. Thank you. Two things with that. I'll just tell you an experiment. My buddy and I was giving me suggestions on my, he said, my next evolution is figuring out a better relationship with money. A lot of my wealth and money has come from AppSumo.com. So he's been challenging me to pay full price for things. My family wants deals, so. That's so funny. What, one thing that you said there, and we have 10 minutes. Speed round? Speed 10 minutes? I love speed round. Yeah, let's do it. Your wife, you talk about your wife more than almost anyone I know. How did you know when you found the one? And then how would you go about finding her, you know, for the single people out there? Okay, so this is speed round. Number one, if you want to find somebody worthy, you need to be worthy. So it starts with getting yourself in line. And that was the first thing I had to do. So I had to become confident. I had to like learn all that. I had to stop writing poetry and showing up with flowers on the first date. It's not a turn on as much as I thought that it would be. I would be aggressively myself. That is the best piece of advice. If you want to meet somebody that you're actually going to thrive with over time, do not fake, do not posture, nothing. Just really be who you are so you can attract somebody you actually want to be with. How do you know when you found the one? That is, how does that person make you feel? Do you feel better more buoyed? Are you excited when you're around them? And then I think you really have to look at it. So I remember with Lisa, I didn't plan to get married when I met her after realizing, holy shit, I'm in love and this is so much fun. I've never enjoyed myself as much with another human being as I have with her. All the things that we can do together, this is rad. I can be myself. She pushes me. I push her. It's just awesome. And then I said, but she gets sick a lot. I'm not a caretaker and hate being a caretaker. Can I really be with somebody that's as sick as often as she is sick? My answer was yes. And so I realized I'm either never getting married or I'm marrying this woman. And so for me, getting married wasn't hard. Deciding to propose, I really thought about and I really thought my way through, processed all that and then ended up proposing. How would you go about finding for all the single people out there? Well, that's what I was talking about with, you need to be aggressively yourself. You need to have self-worth. You need to have earned self-worth. And then, I mean, it's just, I'd be on the internet. That's just the truth. Like you've got to sift through a lot of numbers. Now I may find that going on the internet is just a cluster. I don't know. I got married before internet dating became a thing. It's certainly possible that there's an inherent level of cultural dysfunction around that, but then it's, it's going to be people that you bump into. Totally. And that can be dicey, especially if you work as much as I work. And in fact, I met Lisa because she was my student. School for adults. I do feel compelled to mention that. Hot for teacher. Yeah, I mean, literally. And that was me and my most at my best. So all of that all makes sense when you think about it. What did you say you're going to find someone when? That you see. You don't seek out things to covet. You covet what you see every day. So says Hannibal Lecter. It's going to be the people that you're around. So the internet is the only way that I know to sort of get out to a broader audience to find people. So assuming that that isn't inherently dysfunctional, I would do that for sure. The only thing that I've been thinking, well, not only, but a thought around that as well for myself and others out there is also where can you have less competition? And I think that's true for everything in life. That's an amazing question. I've become single recently and I was, I'm just like an, any other bald bozo that's on these. I've been, one, spending 99% of my time on myself and my world and not that yet because I'm not ready for that. Uh, and exactly what you said, just work on me. But I have thought like when I am ready for it, where are places that I have an advantage or I'm more likely to find the person that I'd be excited to hang out and spend more time with? 
How have you explored improving yourself with psychedelics? So I've microdosed. I've heard people talk about it so much that I thought, all right, I really need to give this a shot. Somebody gave me some psilocybin, gave me the dosage, and I thought, all right, I trust this person. I'll give it a shot. I did three or four times and did not find that it did much more than make me feel tipsy, but without the hangover afterwards. I sort of stopped there, largely out of fear. I fear with my brain too much. What were you hoping it would show you? Or what do you think it could show? I was hoping it would unlock creativity. My fantasy is to find a drug that elevates, because creativity for me is already so much fun, that takes that to a whole nother level. I wanted to get the way that you get sort of brain crosstalk, where different regions of your brain that normally communicate begin communicating, and you get those like super creative ideas, you get in an alpha wave state. That's sort of the fantasy. I listened to Sam Harris's breakdown of his blindfolded five grams, I think it was psilocybin. That sounds super terrifying and not something that I will run out and do, but also something that I'm super intrigued by. And it makes me wonder if I would have some sort of breakthrough if I did it. Yeah, I've been exploring that. You know, I did ayahuasca and I posted about it and I've done some of the shroom stuff lately. And sometimes I don't know if it's superficial or it's actually the, the deepest. I think I mentioned it when we were talking before. It's brought out some very random things I couldn't, I don't think I could have connected otherwise. Like the fact that I didn't like dogs because my dad died. The fact that like, I had this compassion for my office manager, like as a sister. And then I had this realization that my mom's never been proud of my girlfriends and I want to make her so proud. I was like, where is this coming from? Like, who <laughs> said this? I think we're all trying to live more fulfilled and colorful lives. And it's one medicine and one tool, not the only tool. But yeah, I was curious on that. One thing that you talk a lot about is mindset. And I think one of the hardest things for all of us is figuring out what we want. I think for almost, I'd say everyone in the world, they could accomplish things and they can do things they want, but figuring out what you want is a, a hard one. Do you have any activities or suggestions of things that people could do to face fears today or immediately? I think Jordan Peterson talks really, really profoundly about this. And he says, one thing, the reason that exposure therapy works is what you're realizing is not that being around that thing doesn't make you afraid. It's that you can be brave in the face of that fear. I think that that really, just from the psychological literature, seems to be true, that you need to find ways to expose yourself to it, to show yourself that you can have courage in the face of that fear, and then it begins to lessen its hold because you see how brave you can be. That seems to me to be the path. What is something you're afraid of that you might consider doing moving forward? Because you put it on my mind, I would say doing a, a macro dosing of some sort of psychedelic is the thing that I think might be the one thing where I clearly am not doing it out of fear and may hold enough reward that it's worth pushing through that fear to try. It's the only thing I can think of. Beyond that, I'm not afraid to try new things in business. I don't live in paralyzing fear of losing money. So I'm, none of that freaks me out. But my brain freaks me out. It's funny because like I am, you know, I think I say I'm not afraid of stuff, but then I don't realize maybe I am afraid. Or even talking when you're saying, you're, you should be bigger. I'm like, Maybe I am afraid of that. That's interesting. I want to go into the fire. My buddy said it really well, Leo. He said it really well. He said, a man is going to the electric fence, holding the electric fence, and you keep holding it. Obviously, that sounds like stupid as hell because like, why would you grab an electric fence? But the analogy or the metaphor, whatever the fuck it is, is that you know, you're going into the fear and not only going into it, but staying with it. And that's where I think I'm going into the deep end. I dig it. Yeah, man. I appreciate uh, hearing your wisdom around it. You're doing the Disney and you want to create a studio, I just literally just pulled up your YouTube channel. You don't interview a lot of like Disney Pixar people and studio people, which 
on one hand, my first assumption is, well, because they're not as popular and they may not be as a big a show. But on the other hand, if your real intent is the Disney thing, you think you would do more episodes and things that are more directed to that. We've talked about that because it would help me meet some of the people that I want to meet. But at the end of the day, I'm using a bifurcated strategy. And I revisit this often to see if it's the right strategy. But my thing was, I need to create something where I can get big so that I can get into rooms I would not otherwise be able to get into. And I can say that the strategy has worked very, very well so far. I've connected with executives that I otherwise would never be able to get a meeting with because they're familiar with the content. And my thing was, I don't know that I can add value to people's lives by interviewing those people, but I can add tremendous value to people's lives in the mindset arena. It is the thing that I've had to learn the most about in life. So every now and then I fantasize about starting another channel and did for a while. I briefly was reviewing movies and it was actually a lot of fun. Then we realized that there were some people we were trying to get on the show and I was shitting all over their movies. <laughs> we thought that probably is not a great way to get some of these very high profile guests. So we ended up pulling the show. Recently, I've become obsessed with anime. I know. Which I didn't grow up with. I didn't watch my first bit of anime until like four months ago. I'm desperate to like do a show all about that. But it's like time, unfortunately, is limited. What's the gateway drug for anime? It depends on your age. So I'd need to know the person. But for you, I would say that you need to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion. It is cinema, dude. It's incredible. This is one where I will warn you this close to the end of the show. Do not ask me about Neon Genesis. <laughs> That's not. I will go off on that thing. It is absolutely incredible. Two last things. Which rooms have you not gotten in? You said you wanted to get the show to get big so you'd have access. Which rooms would you like to get in that you haven't gotten in yet? People-wise or rooms? That really will ultimately come down to what project I'm trying to pitch. So when we have a project that's specific to you know, a given studio, then that will be more problematic. I wouldn't be able to get into like a Katzenberg personally or a Spielberg personally, so don't let me overhype this, but we've partnered with one of the most prestigious management companies on the planet. So they've been tremendous. I can get in the room with decision makers on shows. Now it's about getting the shows good enough that they actually say yes. And that's really our primary focus at this point. When do you want your first show to come out? We have right now a reality show that we're pitching that I think is pretty awesome that we think could get picked up faster because it is easy to shoot during coronavirus. That could theoretically come out before the end of this year. We'll see many a slip between cup and lip, as they say. We had a project that was being developed with a Japanese studio for anime. And then since coronavirus hit, they have just stopped. You never know like when this stuff is going to cross the finish line. But we have projects right now that are ready to go if we can find somebody that's ready to green light it. That's the harder part. You ever watch the movie Small Time Crooks? I haven't. This is one of my favorite movies because I, I referenced it a lot. It's Woody Allen and him and his friends try to rob a bank. They buy the cookie store next door to the bank because they can dig underneath the cookie store to get into the bank and rob it. And then the wife, they say, well, shit, you need to run the store so we can rob this place. And while they're robbing the bank, which they end up not doing, the wife ends up turning the cookie store into a multi-multi-million dollar business and they get rich. That is amazing. I thought of it with you where you're trying to do the Disney and you're trying to do the studio and the shows, but maybe there's actually something else there all along. Certainly, I ended up generating wealth elsewhere. That is for sure. Because this really comes down to me, what do you want to struggle with? So we all have to fill our days somehow, right? The thing that I could do for the rest of my life and ultimately fail at is tell stories. And when I think about having the kind of impact that I want to have, 
given my passions, given my interests, given the skill set that I've developed and all that, the area for me to have real deep impact is twofold. What I'm doing now, which is just direct to camera, telling people think like this, act like this. I think I've garnered some information that will be very helpful to people. And then the other side is storytelling. Those are the two things that I'm doing. And if I was forced to pick, I would choose storytelling. The joy that I have at that, even when it doesn't work, is unparalleled in my work life for sure. I was just saying, you're already having the success with your storytelling through your show. Yeah, that is a very different type of storytelling. Yeah, I am not blind to, nor do I take for granted the fact that I'll be walking down a hallway in a Vegas casino and someone will run out, literally grab me by the arm, this is a real story, burst into tears, grown man. And just like, I was going through a divorce and I lost my business all at the same time and you were the only thing that got me through. And it's like, fuck, that is exactly why I do this. I don't live my life by accident. Like these are very intentional choices that I made because the feedback loop is extraordinary. The process is extraordinary. Doing this, having you on my show, being on your show like this, when I see it on my calendar, I'm like, yeah, this actually is work, but it doesn't feel like work. Yes. This is rad. I constantly scrutinize it, but I've tried to build my ideal life. I love you, man. I love you right back, dude. Dude, I'm rooting for you. It's inspiring to watch. Thank you, man. It's inspiring to be a part of your journey as well and, and do my part to help share it too. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, go check out Tom at impacttheory.com or look him up on YouTube. The guy is amazing. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go play some disc golf together. And before you go, email me podcast at okdork.com. Don't do it. I know you're just going to spam me saying, hey, can I be on the show? And the answer is no. Also remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tips into a single short email each and every week and exclusive stuff just for you. That's sendfox.com slash Noah, sendfox.com slash Noah. And a final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com as always for doing these podcasts. Thank you, brother. And thank you, Mitchell, David, and the two new people, Michael, Jeremy of the Dork Team for their magic. And a special shout out to my boy, Eric Easy E Fernandez at AppSumo this week. Man, we've been doing this a long time. You are the best. I have a lot of respect for you. I'm really glad we got to have this journey together. I'm looking forward to many, many, many more. Have a beautiful day. What's your favorite quote?